There are people watching. The camera has not frozen. Until evangelist dreams are reborn. You get some background music too. This is very exciting. Um, and I've got the podcast going. Look, I feel like we're under. We are moving. Hey, so a uh, quick announcement. November 2nd, which is a Monday, uh, we're going to do a post-Halloween chilly night at the Tyler house. So we'll break out the... <laughs> chilly night. I'm afraid you're going to have to change your plans, Breezy. I'm sorry. Breezy, remote I'm going to need you to that or break open a can of Wolf's Chili wherever you are. And just go for I'll it. Mexico, oh, that's a look. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Dude, yeah, you, I mean, seriously, you give them a goat and an onion, they could compete with anything we got going on for our chili. I don't even know what that means. Um. Uh, well, it'll be a, it'll be what we like to call a. Well, we call it a pot luck dinner growing up, but then we got into the church where they, they luck wasn't a word, so you had to call it a pot blessing dinner. <laughs> really? Uh-huh. It was, we were that weird. Is that a charismatic thing? Absolutely. It was a, <laughs> so depending on your theology, it's either a pot luck or a pot blessing dinner. Or a pot godly favor. I don't know. I just know that uh, my wife... My wife will be contributing to this. There will be uh, there will probably be a white chicken chili appearance. Um, there will be and and the goal would be that somebody will bring some sort of a chili that will should I say this wrestle my colon to the ground. Like what I'm looking for is a rocking wor- my world kind of chili experience. So just uh, just destructive. Dude, bleeding throat type chili. <laughs> um, yeah, I just said that out loud. That's right. Uh, so welcome to everybody uh, online. Teresa, who was there. Yeah, there's Teresa. She's got a table full of people. And here we go. How many... Sorry, what? I've actually gone through this chapter before and realized the pictures of Christ. Have you been a part of... I'm trying to get in my mind right around if anybody's been through this kind of a study. The before. tabernacle. The tabernacle. I, I'm sorry. Exodus 25. We've all been a part of it, right? Um, if I were to describe Jesus okay, to somebody using only what we know from the Bible, okay, you would say he is, um, this is going to be really fun, isn't it? I can go tell them not to You kids don't turn that the music down. Somebody up there that can Oh, need you to turn that music down, you kids. I would say that Jesus was a temporary dweller, okay? He wasn't here on a permanent basis as a man. That he was God in a human dwelling, right? Uh, that he lived in the wilderness. It says that the Son of Man had no place. Like, he was basically a camper, okay? He would have been great in Alaska and other, like, Bear Grylls kind of situations, right? He's a complete survivor. 40 days in the desert with no supplies, okay? He did it. Um... He was humble in appearance, like, like you couldn't, like, for instance, when they needed to find him, when Judas said, come to the, this place, and I'll, you know, point him out, he didn't say, uh, hey, he's a blonde guy, he's really tall, he was so common looking, apparently, that he said, look, uh, you know, he's got brown hair, dark eyes, olive skin, you know what, never mind, I'll kiss him on the cheek, and you know who he is, like, he was a very normal looking guy, Isaiah said he was 
nothing that we should look upon to be appealing. Like he wasn't some chiseled jaw Brad Pitt kind of guy. I know, yeah, unfair. Uh, this guy's getting louder. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is the door, is the hall door locked shut? Because that probably won't help, but we can at least try it just to make us kill like we're doing something. Um, <laughs> we were correct. Inside, he would have been amazing, right? I mean, his outside was normal, inside is amazing. He dwelt among men, hung out with us, and this is also where God would meet us, was through Jesus. Which, by the way, is also the description of the tabernacle. That it was a temporary dwelling. That this was not to be the permanent <coughs> place for God to dwell on earth. It was a tent. It was basically like a, a circus-looking tent made out of goat skins in the desert. Again, with the camper. That's a lot of goats. It was a lot of goats. And I might add, if you look in the... Uh, it says sea cow skins, which I think are hippos. Huh. Nile River? It's on the Nile River in Egypt. I mean, look, I went down the Nile River, and I want you to know there were so many hippos that I literally at one point realized I've taken 800 pictures of hippos, and they're all the same. <laughs> like, Wait. it's all the same picture. So hippos are, like, one of the most dangerous... I get, I get it. How in the world did they kill them? I don't know. But I want you to know when you're going down in, like, one of the motorized canoe with, like, Captain Johnson, they go, oh, no, it's very safe. I'm like, dude, he's, like, right there. They think it, like, swallow this whole thing. But he didn't. So I don't know. Uh, but sea cows, no, biblically, I don't know. I mean, I actually haven't heard that yet, but I'm just assuming that if you're talking about a sea cow in Egypt, you know, there you go. Um, obviously, it was humble in appearance. It's a tent, right? I mean, later there's going to be a picture of a temple, right, with the temple, the temple that's built. But this is not it. This was a tent. Inwardly, obviously, it's unbelievable because it's gold, silver. And I talked about it in the little blog, but think about it. That's exactly what, like, the people thought they'd struck it rich when they were leaving Egypt. God just basically gave them, the, like, the shopping list from Home Depot that they were going to need to build the tabernacle. The gold, the silver, the clothes. You go to, you go to yeah, I think it's uh, Exodus 13 where they get the, whatever the list is where that, the Exodus actually happens. It's the list of everything they would need. The gold, silver, clothing, fabric, oil. I mean, it's all there. And he gave it to them, just like he does for us, by the way. I mean, that money that I have, that you have, no matter how much, how little, is really just ours to be a steward of. That he will, he obviously had enough left over for themselves, but they were to give it for this, for this building project. Um, God's dwelling place among men. This was it. This was, God, build me a house that I might dwell among you. It was his dwelling place, and mo most importantly, he says, I will meet you there. It was not only a place that he would dwell in, it was a place that he would meet them at the tabernacle. So with that, Exodus 25, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You're to receive the offering for me, each man, from each man whose heart prompts him to give. We don't have time to go into it tonight, but if you want to go back over the blog that I wrote this week, I talked extensively about that moment, about us and what our requirement is, about building his house and what that means. And specifically, this, this church, the church with the steeple that you may have driven by on the way over here, that is not God's house. The New Testament is explicitly clear that you and I as believers are the house of God. And so what our job to do on earth 
is to take care of God's house, to build God's house, to collectively take care of God's house. And what I talked about in the blog was Haggai chapter one, which is this idea that you're taking care of your own house, this house that isn't our house, while my house lies in ruins. And whether you're in Haiti, Africa, Indonesia, the Dominican Republic, you understand that the body of Christ at large, there's a lot of people in ruins right now. And for us to be so focused on our own house, if you will, and not focused on building his body, God has some serious things to say about that. The great part is that with Conduit, we're kind of doing that already. We're definitely taking care of God's house. These are the offerings you're to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows. Acacia wood, which if you're reading the King James Version, is the uncomfortable but yet accurate word, shittim wood. <laughs> Olive oil for the light. That's the word of God, guys. You take, you know, that's... <laughs> I almost went King James and I, just so I could say that word a lot, but we didn't. How eighth grade is that, right? Because I actually had a thought of that. Olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, the onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breast piece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. The writer of Hebrews would later say that this tabernacle speaks of heavenly things, that there's something in heaven that will be this, resemble this. So the great news is, is if nothing else, if you get nothing else from what we're doing here, when you get to heaven, when I get to heaven, we won't have to run around like a bunch of Japanese tourists with our cameras and flower print shirts. We'll actually know our way around. We'll like, we won't be like country bumpkin tourists. Like, oh, I wonder what that is. Like, oh, no, that's the, that's the, the belief. And, that, you know, we'll, we'll know all this stuff ahead of time. So if nothing else, understand that's happening. Um, make a chest of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Four feet by two feet by two feet. And by the way, don't think ark, don't think boat like Noah. Okay, this wouldn't have floated. This is ark like box, okay? Wooden box made of acacia wood. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out. Make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it. Fasten them to its four feet. Two rings on one side, two rings on the other. So basically, like holding rings, because now they're going to make these poles of acacia wood that would slide through these rings on the side that they could carry it with. Overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the chest to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark, they are not to be removed. Then put the, in the ark the testimony which I will give you, which the Ten Commandments, which we spent an extensively long period of time talking about, those tablets of stone that God wrote with his own hand. We don't know if it was left or right. We suspect both. He wrote with his hand to put that in there. And make an atonement cover. King James's mercy seat. I love that word. Of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. And make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark. Put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. There above the cover... Between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Testimony, 
I will meet you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. What I find fascinating about this thing is that God is basically giving the building plan. Okay, think of this like extreme home makeover, you know, in the desert. Jesus edition. So you got tie and all that. So, but what, what I find fascinating is that when you start with the building, the plan, the whole thing, they start with what? The outside. The shell, but you build it and then you fill in on the inside of it. This is the exact opposite of that. This starts with the, not only the interior, but the, the, the most important part of this structure, which is the ark which is the mercy seat, which is where it says, God says what? There I will meet you. Now, I would think, if I were in charge of this building operation, that I would say, Lord, this is all backwards. You should start the other way around. You should start with the outside of it. And then we work inward. It's the, you know, in, in the music industry, this is called the show has got to build. You don't want to start with the encore, right? That's the payoff. You want to start with the thing, let it build. But God says, no, 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 you've got to completely backwards. And I think that it's because he's driving a point home. That just in this, even in this verse, first project of the tabernacle, that he's sharing a truth with us. On the mercy seat, okay, get, get the scene here. It's a box, four feet by two feet by two feet. On top is the mercy seat, okay? There's angels over the top of it, facing each other, wings in. But the mercy seat, Seven times they would sprinkle blood on it. The priest would go in once a year on Yom Kippur and he would sprinkle blood on it seven times. Seven because it's the number of completion. Seven times. Why seven times? I don't know. Maybe because it takes that many times for me to get it through my thick head. Seven times he would sprinkle the blood on it. And there in that place, this country music singing place, was where the glory of God, the kabod, okay? The, the, the holy of holies in there, the, the absolute weighty presence of God, the glow. If you Google and look for pictures, a lot of times artist renderings will have this giant like light coming out the top of it, like a big, huge pillar going out the top of it. It was where God's glory would shine. In fact, it was a couple thousand years later when Jesus appeared on the Mount of, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, with Moses, with Elijah. And they would, James, Peter, and John were there. And Peter says, hey, we should build an altar. Actually, he didn't say altar. He said, we should build three tabernacles here, one for each of you, because this is the glory of God shining on the earth. Of course, Jesus says, no, no, you've got it all backwards. But this is where it started. This is where the glory of God started on earth. And it was there I will meet you. Like, we have this opportunity to meet him wherever we want. If you were on this earth, on this day before the with the Christ to come, this is where you met God, was here. It's built of wood, which if you are a student of the word, you know that it speaks of humanity, of the flesh. Not always positively, but that's what it speaks of, of the flesh. It's dipped in gold, inside and out, it's covered in gold. So you've got wood, which is man, deity, which speaks of gold. You've got deity covering humanity. You've got the God-man. You've got 100% God, 100% man. Somehow one plus one equals two, but one times one equals one. God and man in the flesh. Acacia wood, 
or shit and wood, grows in dry ground. It's a desert tree. I'm just saying it's the word of God. You guys do with it what you want. I just remember growing, you guys probably didn't grow up in it, but I, you know, I grew up in a King James uh, church, and I absolutely loved it when the pastor did the verses like this, like eighth grade. I just, that's, I don't know what else they talked about, but that word, it was like permission to cuss in church. So, Acacia wood is the only tree that grew in the desert, okay? But it grew in dry ground. And of course, what was it? I think it was Isaiah the prophet that said that Jesus was a root that would come from dry ground. Acacia wood, which was also the only tree in the desert that had thorns with it, thorns on it. And so you see these, this ring built on top of the ark, these rings that would have been from a, a thorned wood covered in gold, right? These crowns, I think is what the King James says. So you see a, a thorned wood that of course, I mean, it's clearly obvious, Jesus, his crown of thorns, but I love the part that it's dipped in gold because also Jesus would have it with that thorn of, crown of thorns would be replaced with this, with this crown that he, can, that he has today in power. Another thing that I found out today, I didn't know this before, was that the acacia tree is still used by Bedouins. They had, believe it has a healing property in it, like aloe vera, like desert aloe. They would pierce it, stab it, and the little gummy residue that comes out, they believe, contains healing properties. Beautiful picture. Jesus, of course, pierced for us in his blood. So spiritually, physically, a unique tree and absolutely and purposely chosen by God. So why would God start with the ark? I think, I think God starts with the ark because he knows that I'm a bonehead. And he knows that my tendency would be to work my way into this, to say that, okay, you're God, your glory, your weightiness, your presence, this relationship with you, that I would rather start and work my way in. Like this picture of grace just rocked me today because this idea that I don't have to start on the outside with all, with the labor, with the washing, with the sacrifice, with the altar. With, I don't start with that. God didn't start with that because I don't start with that. God starts on the inside and works his way out, not on the outside working his way in. And if we don't walk away with anything else tonight, it's the reminder that this is why Christianity is so amazing. There is no other religion on the earth that says that I start on the inside out. It's all about I've got to change my ways, I've got to change my behaviors, and then I can have a relationship with God. But not so, not true with Christianity. When Jesus died and cried, it's finished. Does anybody remember what happened with the temple veil? It was torn in two. The picture of it is finished, it's over, it's done. And on that day, that temple, which the curtain that kept people from the ark was ripped in two. Basically, God, it was like a real estate agent declaring open house. <clears throat> Come in whenever you want. It's open. The door is unlocked. Hebrews says that I can come boldly before the throne of grace, that I don't have to. It's like my kids. Like in the middle of the night when my kids make cameo appearances in the room, which someday you that uh, are great with child, um, 
will have this happen to you. You'll be minding your own business in the middle of a dream, and your child will not come hesitantly. He will not knock, which is, by the way, also very important for married people. Know that your kids don't knock. <laughs> take, take from that what you want to... <laughs> but in the middle of the night, they burst in boldly because they know they have access to us. I've never kicked them out. Now, that's not to say I don't walk them back to their beds, right? But they come in boldly because they know that they have access to us. That's it with the Father. We get to go boldly into the throne of grace. Now, keeping in mind this, I don't go in there because I've kept the commandments, okay? My kids don't get to go in there because they've been so good that day. Like, okay, you've been bad this day. You don't get to come see Daddy, right? You've got to be on the outside now. That's called abuse, right? You get to go on Oprah or Dr. Phil in 20 years and cry about how my dad jacked me up when that stuff happens. That's not how our father treats us. He says you come in boldly. Now, the picture goes further when this. What is kept in the ark? Anybody remember? What's kept in the ark? Ten commandments. The law. Who kept the commandments perfectly? Jesus. The picture is perfect. It's unbelievable. Jesus kept the commandments perfectly. Psalm 40, speaking of Jesus, says, Lord, I desire to do thy will. I do thy will. It's, it's Jesus. He is the only one that has kept the commandments. But what's amazing is when you go into the, if you were to go in and you're the high priest on Yom Kippur, you don't actually see the commandments because Jesus, of course, what he kept them, but on top of it, blocking them from view is the mercy seat. The question that I wanted to answer in my own life, hopefully it's a question maybe you can answer in your life, is how do I walk this thing out as a believer, as a Christian? How do I practically walk this out on a daily basis? And in our world, in our society, in our churches, there are certain words that become kind of cliche because we've heard them used so many times. And grace is one of those words. But the fact is really, really simple. And that is how I walk out my walk with the Lord every day. He says, there I will meet you. Where? At the mercy seat. I don't have to keep the commandments because the commandments are kept in Christ. And when I approach him, I get to approach him at the mercy seat. And it's really sad because I would say probably most Christians, I would say that I lived a lot of my life this way, that I was going to be able to approach the Father by living purely. And if something wasn't going right in my life, then there must have been some secret sin or something I needed to confess, and that was standing in the way of God's will for my life. If I could only have my devotions be better and longer, I would sing the songs louder. I would sit up real straight and tall. I'd get the quiet seat prize and children. You know what I mean? And it's sad because that simply isn't how I get to the Father. I don't go to him by keeping the law because I can't. I go to him, I go to the mercy seat. There was a Pharisee that Jesus talked about that said, I'm so glad, Lord, that I live such a pious life. I've kept this and that. 
And he's, Jesus said, that's not the, the Father's, the kind of religion, the kind of piety that the Father accepts. And he uses a juxtaposition of another man that smote his breast, like, I guess, King Kong. I don't know how that worked. But, and said, God, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, that is how God responds. The secret, the key to our walk with the Lord is country music. I'm sorry, it's, I promise I won't get distracted. Yeah, but it's... I don't work my way, you don't work your way in to a relationship with God. God works from the inside out. Does anybody know what Ephesians 2 says? It says, in verse 8, that by grace you're saved. That not of yourself, right? Lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. That being what? Even the faith that I have to embrace it is given to me from God. I don't even have to conjure that up. That is given to me as well. And I guess the question would be, then do I don't have to do anything to get saved? Is that what I'm saying? And the answer is, yeah, God just chose me. He chose you. He says that I didn't choose him, he chose me. And it's great. It's so relaxing. It's so pressure-free at that point because I'm like, I can't earn my way in. And the amazing thing is that once I get that, then I just start responding to it. And then I start wanting to write the Bible, read the Bible, write the Bible. I want to start reading the Bible. <laughs> I want to start responding because I want to know more about this God that's so amazing and mind-blowing. A lot of us would say that, okay, great, that's salvation, Darren, but sanctification, that's absolutely about works, right? Wrong. I think it's a huge goof and it's a huge gaffe that we make in our life that even that is about God's grace in our life. I can't earn my way into it. Okay, now I'm saying... I get it there, I'm saved by grace. Now I gotta work and work and work and work. And I don't think that's proper either. Because even that is by grace. Now when I get to that moment and I realize that that's it, I wanna find more about him, this natural thing happens. It's happened in most of your lives and that is that you respond to it. You respond to it not only with prayer, not only with reading the word, not only with worshiping, but with service to those around us, which we've seen in our thing, right? With what Conduit's doing. think that, and I'm going to land on, actually I'm going to land on just one more thing, because I want to I talk about this and I want to see if you have any questions or thoughts or whatever, but I Twittered this earlier today, but I don't want justice in my life, okay, because justice, if I say, God, give me justice, give me what I deserve, I don't want them to answer that prayer. I don't know whose quote this was, it's been around for as long as I can remember, but it's worth repeating that justice is getting what is what I deserve. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. And grace is getting what I don't deserve. And that's it. That's the key to a restful. If your walk with the Lord isn't restful, Jesus said, my load is light, my burden is easy. He said, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. 
my struggle over the years is it wasn't very restful for me because I was too busy trying to make it happen. I was too busy trying to change it. I was too busy trying to deal with the symptoms of this virus that was inside of me. Couldn't figure out, I would blow my nose, right? You know, if you've had a cold or the H1N1 pig flu, you know that you can blow your nose, but that's just a symptom. The virus is internal. If I just deal with the symptoms, it might go away for a few minutes. That's why whenever you've tried to stop some sin in your life, and it didn't work. It's because you started with the outside and worked your way in instead of starting from the inside and working your way out. God's is real simple, and that is that the throne is what the throne of grace. I can come boldly to it, and I can obtain help, healing when I need it. And I think that that's, I mean, what's so amazing about grace that we write a song called Amazing Grace? That's pretty darn amazing. It's pretty darn scandalous even. It's pretty like, you're saying, Darren, I, I haven't prayed in 15 days. I haven't cracked the Bible. I haven't spent any time in prayer that I can go in tonight and have instant access to the Father. Yeah. The, you don't have to get cleaned up now and go back in. I can go in boldly to the throne of grace. What I do want to land on is this. And I want to say this specifically before we start having whatever conversation the Lord directs. And that is this, that I, I've been dealing a lot in the last couple weeks with theological guys that are pretty smart, actually a lot smarter than I am, a lot smarter, years of seminary. And the danger with the teaching like this, because you can say, yeah, Darren, I get it, I understand it. I, I understand substitutional, I understand atonement, I understand it. There's a story that I think helps us to understand what it will do in our lives. And that was a few thousand years ago. Somebody said, hey, let's take the ark into battle. We're going to take it. It was the Israelites. They're being defeated by the Philistines. And some bright guy says, hey, let's take it. Let's take the ark of the covenant. Let's take it into battle. And it will bring victory to us. And they marched in. And this knucklehead, whose idea this was, everybody's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And it's, it records in 1 Samuel 4, the Philistines saw this ark coming over the hill going, oh my gosh, it's coming at us. God is in our camp. And then they realized that they were actually defeating the Israelites, ultimately defeating them, capturing the ark, putting it in one of their temples. It did not provide victory for them because it wasn't him. And the danger with a teaching like this with our conversations when you get into an Exodus 25, 26, and we begin to look at, you know, the menorah and see that it's beaten out of pure gold and there's seven stands and, you know, six of them come out of each side. I mean, it's easy to get all caught up in that and forget that it's about him. He would provide victory for them. He provides victory for us. It, the theology, does not. And it's other to say that it's not wrong, it's not bad, it's like, this is great, it's a lot of fun. But if all you leave tonight is with this great thought and this conversation about this picture of the ark, this picture of Christ that God clearly painted for us and forget that it's about him, then you're missing the point. Because what we've got to walk out of with is this idea that I can walk into the throne of grace and I have fellowship with the Father whether it's that relationship that's gone south, whether it's my job that sucks, whether it's my career, whether it's uh, my family relationship, whether whatever it is, I actually have fellowship with the Father and I can talk with Him about it. I can dwell with Him 
in it. That's the beauty of this thing. This tabernacle, only one person had a relationship to go in once a year, and it was a high priest. A relationship that he would have to literally tie a rope around his ankle, because if he blew it and did anything wrong, he'd die in there, and they'd have to pull him out. There'd be a little bell around his ankle. It would ring while they knew, as long as that bell was ringing, he was moving. And if it didn't ring anymore, we got another one. Pull him out. Jesus tore that veil in half, and he says, what is it in John 1? That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is tabernacled. He dwelt among us. He tabernacled. He tabernacles in you and in I. That this isn't about it, it's about him. And I think that's plenty for one night to digest. <laughs> because we're going to get into these other amazing pictures. The, the laver, the, the water that would, you would, I mean a priest would walk in and wash their hands in this bowl of water. And it would mix what? Blood and water. From Jesus' side would come blood and water. I don't know if you know this, but your sack is, uh, around your heart is covered in water. Like your heart is floating in a sack of water. Like so, and I know this because my business partner a year and a half ago had a heart attack because his, he had a virus in his pericardial fluid, which is water that you're, so basically your heart and then there's this bag of water that's in it. So when Jesus was stabbed in the side with his spirit, we recorded that blood and water flowed, that Jesus quite honestly died of a broken heart. Blood and water flowed from his side. You walk in, there's a, a, a laver, a bowl of water that they would wash the blood in, would mix blood and water. We'll talk about that later. As tonight, it's 8.25. Anybody have any thoughts, questions, concerns? I heard in the Wikipedia annotation, there's a tree. There's, a, there's some... Uh, I love the iPhone. I like symbolism, so yeah. I don't know if they're really that significant, but I think... I don't know. Just some God's sovereignty, I'm pretty sure that they... Uh, just some random stuff. Um, in India, Nepal, Tibet, and China, um, smoke from the acacia bark is thought to mean as a ghost away. So we'll really talks about some other folks where basically it's associated with resurrection and eternal life. Um, and a specific species of acacia tree that would have been used to build the ark is only found in the Sinai Peninsula in the Jordan Valley. So the ground floor. Hmm. Wow. I think that. Oh, that's pretty cool. It almost had to. Well, I wouldn't say had to have been, but. The thing that I love about this stuff, by the way, is I don't know about you, but I have. I was a curious kid. I got in a lot of trouble. When I was growing up, wondering what happened if I would, you know, stick this in like the electrical outlet. What would happen? I mean, those kinds of things. But it also would follow me into the word, which is, you know, is it really real? I mean, I went through a huge struggle of faith when I was twenties. How is it possible that this document could be this? And when I see stuff like this, it really does bolster my faith. It isn't something that secures my faith, but it absolutely bolsters it. There are eight times in the New Testament when there was one sermon preached, and that was when somebody would take them from Genesis to Malachi, showing them the Christ in the scriptures. 
Eight times it was preached that I know in the New Testament, including Jesus, so it took him to the scriptures and showed him who he was through the, the prophets and through the Old Testament. And that when they saw this, their eyes were opened and they burned inside with excitement. It's a sermon that you, eight times I know of in, this, in, the, in the gospel that we preached, and you hardly ever hear it in our society. I've never heard a pastor on a Sunday morning take me from Genesis to the end to tell me the story of Christ through that. But yet it was such an effective, that's all they had. I mean, they, when they said the turn of the Bible, for that all scriptures got breathed, there was no New Testament. It was Exodus, Leviticus. So it bolsters my faith for sure. So. What I think is cool with it is I've been doing kind of a lot of the reading that I've had. It's like you hear this type of thing that talks amazingly about grace and the picture of Christ. And it's like God could have left it at that. You know? And then would have given us all a license to pretty much do whatever we want. I think it's really cool that he also cared so much that so many other scriptures all throughout that just kind of give us a guide like to live. And it's like, hey, yeah, you you can choose to be like that, but you know, but if you go farther here, then you hear and you learn kind of consequences or different things like that. It kind of touches on so many different topics that you can spend an entire lifetime reading, and every time you can just like learn more and more. that talks about us being adopted, grafted into Christ, that we're heirs, that we're sons now. No. Where was that? a lot of people online that I, 
Any other comments, questions? This is really exciting. I mean, I learned this, it gave me chills like a couple times while I was working today. Like, even just reading ahead, like things would just jump out. Like I was, you know, communing with the Lord. It's like the the word really was a light. You know, is a light. I never thought about that picture. I don't know why I just never put. It's like all the things you were saying. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, well that's pretty cool. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I think I I've shared it before, but I, you know, you wonder. Did Mary and Martha, did they have eyes to see like that Easter morning when they walked in that first Easter and Jesus is gone and what they see are two angels standing over a wooden or a slab, flat slab with blood sprinkled on it. Would they have known like, like the picture? Cause they were, they were straight up Jews, right? They knew the deal. I mean, it would have been like, holy, I guess you can't say holy crap, but Wow. You know, I mean, it would have been just a perfect picture of coming boldly, you know, into that and finding mercy there. So. Apparently it's not just a writing of your own songs tonight. This could be. Oh, you think this guy wrote that? It's natural. That's fair. <laughs> and, and, and Jesse would say that there are a lot of, like, number one writers in Nashville. So I'm going to go with the problem. Here's what you, here's how you find out. Here's what we do when we leave. We do Jag scouts. You look for you, you scout for Jags in the parking lot because if he did write it, there'll be at least one Jag out there. <laughs> and it'll be true. <laughs> that's what we would do at the. Uh, <laughs> that's what you do at the Bluebird. When you get done, you go out and look for the Jags because those are the guys that wrote the songs. And, uh, I'll be the people I know now are pretty good at their Jags for slightly cheaper cars. For kids? No. For kids. <laughs> <laughs> they went to slightly. Oh, they went yeah. to they went to Carnival Kia. Um. Yeah. Commercials are so enticing. I traded in my jack for seven. I really, I really, really wanted that guy to be Mormon, the, the Kia guy, but it turns out he's not. He looks like he would be a perfect Mormon kind of guy, perfectly blonde, perfect-looking wife, like a kajillion kids. Yeah, he's like a he's a Christian. Which is okay. I just was thinking he would be a better Mormon. By the way, the Lord has like forty nine dollars in the job thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did it not work? No, no, it's it's not true. Um, I tried it. <laughs> hey, Teresa said last night we had a worship night fundraiser, and someone uh, reminded us that God's burden is light. Don't let it to become a burden. I was not there last night. Um, all right. Let's go to Starbucks. Yes. There's not enough of us tonight. We could go. We could. I need a piping hot beverage. Piping hot. Offering. Oh, um, I just work here. Um, if anybody wants this, the mitts go here, and the rest of it goes to little kids' need. So we can use this for the offering. <laughs> and it'll smell fresh. Yeah, there's mitts in here. I mean, you got to dig through all the plastic wrapping. Do you know the Listerine sprays? I'm actually Just put the cash goes in the lifesaver bag? Yes. Oh, that's um. right. <laughs> yeah, we're giving it away. So it's. Do the Listerine sprays? Yeah. The other problem is you never know when you last wear this. Ah. And so this morning I was like, oh no. Oh no, it's gone. What, by the way, what did you say about the Listerine sprays? You did? Oh, 
Teresa, hey, Teresa, Ben says he's not going to, he's going to hold his sponsorship money until he gets a picture of his kid. And it better be cute. Um, I'll go to compassion. I'm not going to kill Dude, my dad called. I had to answer. Sorry. <laughs> Why? Why? Ouch. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to. Oh, yeah. We decided that Rizzi and I are going to uh, make some big group passes. And I'm just going to walk around talking about XLR 57 with a road case and see if I can get in. What? Rather than looking online for like a picture of oh, like, really? a, like a person wearing one, you know? Uh, yeah. So I could seriously Photoshop one? I just got a free iPhone. The funny thing is, and I can buy one. Okay. I was Jeremy Hart and he has a borrowed gear year from you. Like, he has a for the shark That's the holy no. That's the actual chasing record. Hey, Bill. <laughs> Bill, look what I got. <laughs> I'm holding this up specifically for Bill in Kansas. It's bootleg. I'm going to put it on Kazaa by the end of the night, Bill, for new release. <laughs> what does it come out? Promise not to tell. Um, <laughs> you sell uh, some supplies to uh, old ladies? Yes. Okay. Are you going up there? I am.